On Being with Krista Tippett is supported in part by the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer's Sharing Spiritual Heritage Report asks, How will we reimagine our spiritual infrastructure for today's time? Learn more at Fetzer.org. I'm Krista Tippett. Up next, my unedited conversation with the beloved writer Kate DiCamillo. There is, as always, a shorter produced version of this wherever you found this podcast. Hello. (laughs) Do you want this to be a recordable hello or is this for levels? Uh, That was the most uncertain hello I've ever heard in my life. Hello, Kate. Hello. Hello, Krista. (laughs) Thank you for the great gift of of talking Uh, with me. mm -hmm. I'm I'm so Mm -hmm. I've been looking forward to it. So, you know, I think one thing that um, that feels uh, like a challenge, but a a, a challenge I'm very happy to walk into is um, I don't I haven't interviewed many um, writers of fiction across the years. It's tricky because, I mean, I know you often get interviewed when books come out about particular books, right? Full of audiences who may have purchased the book or already read it to be there. And I kind of made this decision as I went through this. I mean, you've written a lot of books. And um, I made this decision to, I want everybody to feel invited. (laughs) And I don't, so I, it's not, I really want to talk to you as this person who, um, has brought all these characters and stories and worlds um, to many others, but that somebody could enter this conversation that we're going to have without having read any of it and not feel like they've missed, like 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 they're missing something because they haven't read anything. Yeah, um, I can. Does that see, make sense? Yeah, and yeah. I can see what a what a yeah. challenge and it is. Challenge, You're right. I, yeah, I think I figured it out, but that was kind of the thing that at the beginning I was like, okay, how am I going to do this? Or um, so Zach, are we are we now good? Are we are we formally going? And okay. What are you working from, Krista? Do you like make notes? I'm just again. This is just curiosity. Oh, do you, do you yeah. have it all laid out like the like a shape of the conversation that you think it might go in? Yeah. I mean, maybe one day I'll show you these notes. I have. I always have what I kind of feel like is. It's a kind of conversational roadmap. It's not. It's like. Some places I know I want to go with you. I know where we want to start. I think I know where we want to end. I think I know some things that we will absolutely dive into. And then there are kind of other roads we might go down, but also that I'm prepared so that I can go with you um, if we do that. I mean, I think, I, think a, I think a conversation has a narrative arc, right? Yep. It needs to feel like a story. Um, an hour of radio or podcasting is a... It's a long time to bring somebody along. So um, Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a big stack of your books, which I've had for a while, and then I got some more. <laughs> and I don't know if you've met you've met Julie. Julie's been my comrade and kind of pulling together the prep. And so I've been um, you know, what I hadn't done before is um read a lot of interviews you've given places you've spoken so I kind of pulled all that's that's all in here too kind of ha, you know knowing how you how you how you speak out there in the world as well as um what you do in your writing and how that lands with people yeah boy I I, I suddenly I'm I'm 
I'm I sweating want... some more. Okay, okay, don't sweat. <laughs> All right, I'm going to start. I let's start. Let's start. This this everything I want to talk to you about is just it's just what you're already thinking and breathing and all the time. And so, you know, just to start, uh, it occurred to me as I as I actually learned more about your life story, um, that if this if this if your life if your if this were a story about you, um, <laughs> that Kate DiCamillo wrote, it would begin <laughs> with a sickly child named Kate. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm already. I'm still. I'm still stuck back on there. On if this was a story that I wrote, which is, it's kind of got a like, it's got a rabbit hole quality to it. Mm-hmm. If I fall into that kind of thinking, mm-hmm. um, because I can. <laughs> it, it's it, it. It's a real. It's like what's the sound of. Uh, tree makes you know when it falls in the forest it could does that to my head right and if no one's mm-hmm. there right? Right, right that's what it does to me when i think about that but okay i'm with you so yes a sickly child um well it sounds like you just i mean you know i don't i've i i didn't know all this i mean that you had someplace you said or wrote, you know, my body happily played host to all of the usual childhood maladies, mumps and measles, chicken pox, ear infections, plus a few exotic extras, inexplicable <laughs> skin diseases, chronic pink eye. And then you had recurring pneumonia every winter for the first five years of your life. Right, right. I mean, it just makes me sound so pathetic. Um, and I mean, and I, um, I, I think so much when you say all of that, I think, um, I mean, I feel it. And, and mm-hmm. I also, th- I, I think, how did that kid survive? And then I know exactly what the answer is, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, she laughed and she read. Um, <laughs> she read, yeah. yeah, and and yeah. she made friends. Um, that those have been the saving graces, yeah. And you know, it it um, it it also all of those things turned out to be peculiar gifts in a way, um, because the pneumonia got us uh, to Florida from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, that was you know, as I say to the kids. In a time long, long ago, when geographical cures were still prescribed, and yeah, um, so the doctor said said that the family the family would take you to Florida, and that would be good for your pneumonia. Was it? Did it actually cure? Your uh, yeah, I didn't get get any pneumonia anymore, uh-huh. but I got everything else. Um, okay. And and you know it, it it's. Uh, see, this is the trick of you, Krista. Is all, mm. like already. Um, and it's not through, you know, having sat around a table with you. It's just it's it's your gift is that I'm going to say more than I would normally say, you know. Mm-hmm. So here mm-hmm. I go. I'm just going to mm-hmm. say it. And you can um, edit it out if you think it's. But, you know, it, it it was a gift because it it got us to Florida and away from my father, mm-hmm. which at the time as a kid, I didn't perceive as a gift. Um, instead I was just like, where, where, where is he? And is he going to come back? And, um, but we all would have, as my mother often said, ended up in a mental institution if he had stayed. Mm. And, you know, so, um, 
it's it was good. And also it was good because uh, I came from Philadelphia to Florida and I felt like Alice in Wonderland that I, you know, I just, it's like there, there were, um, you know, there was Weeki Wachi where there were underwater mermaids. There was uh, Gatorland where you walked, you know, through a cement jaw of an alligator and watched the gator jumperoo. And right. um, it was just, and it was the South. People told stories and I just, um, it, I was raised by that small town, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, what you just shared about you know getting away from your father. I I haven't I haven't seen you share that anywhere. So th- I mean, thank you for that. I I also know that that's something you see in hindsight, right? And as a were you five six? Yes, uh, I was five, and then I turned six down there, and and yeah, and it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's also that thing, and this is something that I don't talk about a lot either, but. You know, the, the the adult, I mean, the, the conceit around the whole move was we're moving um, because Kate needs to be in a warm climate. Mm-hmm. And um, my father was an orthodontist and he uh, was going to sell the practice. And then uh, after that was all taken care of, he was going to move to Florida. And, uh, and that, you know, didn't happen. And uh, he, it's not that I didn't see him. He, he showed up. Um, and did many wonderful things, paid for my education, um, contributed to me loving words and stories. Hmm. But uh, I knew that the I remember sitting on the back steps of Idabel Collins' house. She was the next door neighbor, (laughs) and she's like, now when is your— when's your father going to get here? And I said, soon. He's going to get here soon. And I remember thinking, I know that's not true, hmm. and but you know, but you lie f- <laughs> for the yeah. adults, kind of, you know, right? Yeah, right. And We're off to the races here. We are, you we know, are. we are. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, we're going to come back to that probably. Okay. Um, I, you know, Kate, there's there's a lot of magic in your books. Um, and I'm sort of going to speak about it. It's not just magic, right? It's 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 magic, and it's it's uh, a real clear-eyed realism um, about how complicated and and often difficult and often impossible and devastating life can be. But there is a lot of magic, and and yet and yet what I feel when I'm what also just just jumps out at me about you and kind of the body of your work and kind of what you what you've brought into the world is also this everyday magic that is available to every single person, which is the magic of reading. And that, 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 that's, you said it a minute ago, but just to, you know, come back to that, that that's what it was for you. Um, And your mother, Betty, was also a big part of that story. Yeah, she was. um, uh, She, and this was something that, um, I I was able to um, realize while she was still alive, but even more um, in this last book that I... Uh, where do you want me to go with that, Krista? Because there's so much I can say about what Betty so, gave me so as a reader. So what I think is... Oh, with Betty or with your books? Yeah, with Betty as a reader. I mean, there's just so much. 
Um, well, um, well, let me say something about your book. So I'm not going to like go deep into certain books, but I'm happy for you to bring up books, a book or a character if you want to. Sure. Um, yeah. But, um, no, I just, I just, there's a story you tell that's that's so touching and also relatable for a lot of people. Like you were a kid who wanted, 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 wanted to read, um, but you had trouble with it at first. And you had trouble with, what was it, the way they were trying to teach it with phonics? Yeah. Um, and I compute uh, in your brain. It did not compute. And it was, um, it was almost terrifying to me um, because, because I wanted, I knew that I wanted to read so much. I knew that I needed what was there. And here I was, and, and this didn't make sense. And yeah. um, uh my mother, uh, who <laughs> uh, was a wonderful, complicated person, I, I came home from this is first grade is when we learned to read then, um, and and just I was hysterical. I, I said I don't understand what they're talking about. It doesn't make any sense to me. And um, she said something like, "For the love of Pete, calm down." <laughs> and and. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> which was totally her. And then she mm-hmm. she gave me such a huge gift in how she, and this is the thing that I realized after the fact, she said a couple things to me. She said, one, she said, you're smart. Um, two, well, we'll just, we'll figure a way to work around it. Um, you're good at memorizing. Uh, we'll just memorize. And so, the, the, you know, there's some explicit messages there. You're smart. She thinks I'm smart. Uh, I'm good at memorizing. But there's an implicit one, too, which is there's always a way around it. Um, and, and that was huge, you know. And so she made me flashcards. Um, and every day I would come home from school and um, she would just hold up you know, a, a word and I would tell me and she would tell me what it was and I would memorize it. And, and that's how I learned to read. Yeah. And um, it was such an act of seeing on her part. She saw who I was uh, and she knew what I needed. And I, I remember um, my best friend in like kindergarten, first grade was Allison Lance. And Allison was one of those kids who um, spontaneously read. Yeah, and right. um, it was so maddening to me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, and I remember bringing her home and, and to my mother and saying, Allison can read. And my mother's like, how do you know she can read? You can't read. And it's like, OK. And so then mm-hmm. Allison just read the front page of the paper to her. And my mother's like, yep, she can read. And I was like, man. <laughs> you know what? This brought, this brought home to me. I mean, maybe everybody has to, I was also a kid. I just wanted to read, wanted to read. And I was old. You know, the, where, were my, where my birthday was was meant that I started first grade late. And my parents had this philosophy. I have no idea where they got it. I think it was ridiculous, but that I, they should not teach me to read, that it had to be the teacher. And um, just oh, the boy. agony of that. I remember it, just like I can all I can feel because I, I can feel the pain of it. <laughs> right. And it's, it is like a, it's like earlier when I was saying there was this, this kind of a, a horror inside of me that I could be, I, and so you're the same kind of kid. You knew you needed it, right? I needed it. Yeah. This is but the thing I also, that I need. But I couldn't, I wasn't one somebody, you know, you hear, to hear these stories about four-year-olds who teach themselves to read. I, I could not make heads or tails of it until somebody taught me. 
And did you learn with phonics or was it, do you remember? I, I don't remember. I mean, what I do remember, which is ridiculous, is that the, I, I remember <laughs> I remember learning what we used to learn back then, which is so pathetic, which is like, go, Dick, go, see Jane, run, <laughs> right? Spot Jane and Dick. And I remember actually in a very kind of Oh, melodramatic way, which I suppose <laughs> says something about me. I remember, I have this memory of being in first grade, learning how to read Go, Dick, Go, or whatever it was, and saying, I will, I will remember this sentence for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I'm telling things I have never told anyone before. <laughs> okay, but Kate, I... <laughs> um, I... But you know what? That's not melodramatic because, like, I remember when it all came together for me, and it was it was Little Bear, you know, the, the illustrated yeah. by Marie Sendak. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can't. I, I look at those pictures, and it just like it knocks me off my chair. But I remember, like, it. It's like. You, you really feel like you're going to come out of your body and lift yeah. off. You know, it is like you're in, and and it's it is. I you know I I don't know if these words made it to you, but it's just like it's like you walk through a golden door, you know, into a, a room of light, you know. Yeah. Well, you actually, um, this is all making me think that we should have. I mean, I think so much about how ritual poor our society is that we should almost like have rites of passage for learning to read because it is so momentous. Um, um, but you, just what you just said, you is captured actually in. Um, the Beatrice Prophecy, which I think is your latest book, When We're Now Speaking. Um, and I think this is Beatrice. Is, tell me, is this Beatrice saying this, instructing, each letter has a shape and each letter has a sound. And you put these shapes and sounds together and they become words. Do you understand? I, he said to her, his heart was beating fast. He did not know. He had not understood how much he wanted it to know the secret of letters and sounds and words, but his heart pounding against his ribcage was telling him. He watched the letters appear one by one beneath her hand, and he felt as if each letter were a door pushed open inside of him, a door that led to a lighted room. Yeah. Mm. I, I say... <laughs> It's so I'm I'm nodding my head as you read, not because I, it just it that's that's how it feels, you know. Yeah. It just it's a bodily feeling. Yeah. You know, you and I were. Um, well, I've been we've been ta- I've been talking about having you on the show for a long time, and then um, originally I. So it, I, 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 we talked about doing this in the early months of the pandemic, and um, you know, I, I read, I experienced your body of work with and through um, my children, um, particularly my daughter, who um, I'm probably going to quote. She's my my at home Kate DiCamillo expert. <laughs> And I almost thought that she should do this interview, um, but then and then and then in uh, so I read all the books kind of with her or watched them be part of her her life, especially as she left and you know after she left the books that you wrote at when she was at different stages in her life, and then in in twenty twenty the 
the writer Ann Patchett, who I think you've since become great friends with, wrote this piece in the New York Times. It was kind of a confession <laughs> about <laughs> about having thought that the books that you write, you know, a book like The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane, um, um, these things are characterized as children's books or young adult books. And um, she just talked about how reading them had changed her life. Um, this beautiful world had been available to me all along, but I had never bothered to pick up the keys to the kingdom. And she said, you know, she read all your books. It was the most satisfying literary adventure of her life, also incredibly calming. And so I then turned back to your books and thought, I'm going to read them without a child here. Um, and then uh, 2020 just kept unfolding these traumas and ruptures and... You know, collectively, we've been in this story that just keeps throwing out new chapters of um, loss and sadness and fear, also also other kinds of transformation. Um, and I realize that as I'm sitting with you now in, mm, let me just, I'm not going to call it, it's not a post-pandemic world, but let's say the post-2020 world, and where a lot of things are never going to go back to what we thought they were or the future doesn't look the way we thought it would look. Um, you know, children and adults are reading your books in a world that has become unmoored, that school and play have become unmoored, that parents have become unmoored. Um, and one thing that feels so important um, is that you have always... So I, I, I kept thinking as I was reading you again and thinking about this, of a conversation I had early, early in the years of the show with with the, with the great child psychiatrist Robert Coles. Did you ever read him? He wrote mm -mm. The Spiritual Lives of Children, but he also wrote like the about the political lives of children and the moral lives of children. And one of his, and he actually started his career as a child psychiatrist watching Ruby Bridges. Oh, Walk into that schoolhouse every day, month after month, being heckled and yelled at by by adults, and having being alone in that school. So, like he he was attentive and so articulate about the fact that children know everything about how hard the world is. Yeah, and there's this impulse we have, certainly as parents, to shield them. And that they know everything, right? They, they see that people die. They see that people are bad to each other. They know that their parents are fighting, right? They know that their father isn't coming to Florida and that it's more complicated than he'll be there soon. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's a very long-winded way of getting to the fact that it becomes very clear to me that I think this is part of why your books have landed with so many generations of children, that you honor this this clear-eyed truth about children um, in a very loving and sophistic sophisticated way in the books you write um, I, I I have to say that I don't know what I'm doing all I know is that um, that kid you know and when what's the name of the the child psychologist Robert Robert Coles yeah, yeah. I, and I and I think that I would love to read that and then I also think don't read that because so much of what I do is instinctual mm -hmm. and I think it's uh, the the instinct comes from the 
eight-year-old in me that is just kind of like right at the surface for some reason. And um, and I, it's that uh, the hope and fear of that kid that uh, helps guide me through the stories. And then also the stories always, and uh, you've heard me say this before, um, they are a way to access something much smarter uh, than I am and wiser than I am. And um, and it and that eight-year-old in me uh, walks with me um, as we find that that smarter, better place. Mm-hmm. Do you, does that make sense? It does. And, you know, something else, uh, th- and I think another reason I kept thinking of you together with Robert Coles is that he also is somebody, uh, he's in his 90s now. I think I met him when he was in his 80s. He had this kind of growly, bare voice. <laughs> and um, I, I've had this experience of people who are not just good with children, but wise with children, um, that there's a way in which, and I feel this in Robert Coles, I feel it in you. You know, sometimes we talk, uh, we talk culturally about, you know, all that we lose when we move from childhood to adulthood. And I feel like some people in you and Robert Coles, that you, you manage to keep very alive this effervescence and this wide-eyed wonder, capacity for wonder. Um, well, you and know, maybe also, yeah, maybe also that, like, just very direct frankness about reality. And, um, you know, one of the great gifts of doing this, getting to tell these, these stories, is uh, I didn't know um, until I started going out there and talking to kids how much I enjoyed talking with kids and um, and getting to, you know, I, I was so, uh, I was really, really small uh, as a kid and um, small for my age. And mm-hmm. um, and then I, I, I looked really like um, insubstantial, like a, you know, a wind, a strong wind would blow me away. Right. And I, and I was always, um, being condescended to by adults, but yet I was, um, really a sarcastic kid and a kid with a big vocabulary. And, um, and I, ne- it was, you know, I always wanted to feel seen. And that's what mm-hmm. I loved about, um, going into classrooms and talking to kids was like, and and I, I loved it doing, you know, a signing line. It was always like, you know, it, it was three seconds, 30 seconds, whatever. It was a chance to let the kid know that I saw them and 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 I saw them as uh, an individual, as a human being, as like and it would just it was thrilling to make that connection. And uh, and it must be, you know, it goes back to that eight-year-old that's right at the surface for me. It's just like, I just remember what it was like to feel invisible, to feel like you weren't, or that you had to protect the adults by pretending that you 
believe the lies that they were telling you. And so (laughs) it's just one, even in the smallest interaction with a kid, Krista, you can let them know that you absolutely see them there and with all their intelligence and all their history and all, and and like, it's just like, it can, it it would, it was electric sometimes to do that Mm -hmm. because, um, Kids don't always get it, you know? And it's funny because a lot of times, like when Despro came out, I would get asked again and again, why do you think mice figure so prominently in children's literature? And I always wanted to say, are you kidding? It's because that's how we treat kids, you know? It's just kind of like you're, you know, you're in the way, you're small, um, you're powerless, and um, it's just, it's, it, it feels very familiar to a kid, you know? Yeah, so that's <clears throat> the tale of Despero. Um, you know, one of the interesting things that my at-home Kate DiCamillo expert has explained <laughs> to me, because because she also works now with children. Oh. And she's in her late 20s, but she's now working with people who are the age she was when she started to read you. And she's told me how, you know, I guess because of Winn-Dixie, which was really, was your, that was your first novel, right? And, yep. And just... You know, when she was growing up, because of when Dixie was required reading for just a whole generation of kids and was for a while and and probably still is in places. And then and now she and then what did she tell? So then now there are, you know, then there are the kids who who read Despero or The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane. And now more recently, there's the generation of kids who've been um for for whom Flora and Ulysses is what they know of Kate DiCamillo, and 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 they may or may not remember because of Win Dixie. I I was just um, I actually and that and Flora and Ulysses is a um, graphic novel, right? It's a little it, different. It, it has graphic novel has elements. Elements, yes. yeah. yeah. But I just like to come back to this point about. I mean, when you just were describing yourself as an eight-year-old, I'm kind of, you know, how Flora is this very articulate, well-spoken, smart, natural-born cynic, <laughs> self-proclaimed. And and also to this point of how kids know that the world is a hard place, that she constantly refers to her favorite book, <laughs> which is called Terrible Things Can Happen to You! Exclamation point. Which is not the book any of us would give our children, but it's probably the one that they would understand. I'm sorry for like laughing at my own joke, but it's just so, it's just so funny. It's so perfect. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, wait, I had something to say back there about Flora and Ulysses and a natural born cynic. And um, uh, take your time. Think about uh, it. Well, it's it's that it it, I want to get to and you you can help me with pronunciation. Mm -hmm. Rilke. Am I saying that right? You're the expert. You have got Reiner Maria Rilke in Flora and Ulysses. Yes. 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 Yes, I do. Um, And more to the point, I have um, uh, Rilke's Book of Hours here, um, the uh, Anita Barrows uh, and Joanna Macy one. And I brought it with me because um, you were talking about uh, the comfort of that can be found in, in, you know, what can save you reading. Um, Mm -hmm. But also this, I come back to this quote so much. This is in the introduction 
Rilke never lost his conviction in the utter reality of the world or in our human capacity to redeem it through that act of transforming attention, hmm. which is naming or love. And, and that's being seen. And, that's, and when you talk about the magic in the books, um, the magic is just looking and wondering, like, hmm. you know, hmm. w- who knows what's inside that squirrel? Um, right. yeah. You know, that squirrel could write poetry. And and it's like that's what we let go of when when we're adults, um, because I think it hurts so much to see how alive the world is, and that every everything is sentient, every being, you know. And so you just kind of close down to that. And but that is so much a part of how we see the world as kids. And um, and for whatever reason, uh, I can still access that, and and that's part of where the stories come from. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And that that where the stories come from is also a magical, mysterious question. Yeah. Do you wanna Do you wanna go down that sure. rabbit hole? Yeah. Okay. Where do the stories come from, Krista? <laughs> I don't know, but but you hear their you hear voices, and they are people who then come to life and have their own opinions and right. You know, it reveal is, their stories. Anybody like. who knows, you know, can say. I, I mean, I don't. It, it's a mystery. It's a mm-hmm. mystery. Yeah, and and there are things that you can do, um, like you know, as I say to the kids. You know, when they ask where the ideas come from, it's just like, do you know what eavesdropping is? Um, mm-hmm. There there are things that you can do. You can pay attention all the time. I, I talk about a Flannery O'Connor quote. You know, the writer must never be ashamed of staring. There's nothing <laughs> that does not require her attention. I've changed the, the pronoun there. But mm-hmm. it's just like everything is, is your business. That's kind of how... I feel it's just like I pay attention to all of it. And then you don't know. It's kind of like walking around uh, with a divining rod in your hand. And mm. you, you think, here, here, does this? And then a word will uh, appear and it. it's like, yeah, dig here or a character name. Um, but I don't usually start with story ideas. I just start with um, an image or a name um, or and then uh, a constellation of things will like come around that. I, I know, oh, this belongs with this, and this belongs with this, and then I follow all that um, to the story with my eight-year-old as as the guide. Um, it, yeah, it's it's so mysterious. I there's some place you there's a piece of writing by Ursula Le Guin that you've that's my other book that I brought along today. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, I, I saw you read this to someone. Would you like to read it here? I, it um, is. It just was, it electrified me when I read it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's from, uh, 
an essay called The Operating Instructions. Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, yeah. Um, it had feels you... to me like it, it, it helped you name something really important about this, about what you do and yeah, why and what happens it, and that mystery that happens. Yeah. Um, and just the the community of it, mm. which mm. is interesting because it's, you know, reading is a solitary act. Um, so she says, nobody can do anything very much really alone. What a child needs, what we all need, is to find some other people who have imagined life along lines that make sense to us and allow some freedom and listen to them, not here passively, but listening. Listening is an act of community, which takes space, time, and silence. Reading is a means of listening. Reading is not as passive as hearing or viewing. It's an act. You do it. You read at your pace, your own speed, not the ceaseless, incoherent, gabbling, shouting rush of the media. You take in what you can and want to take in, not what they shove at you fast and hard and loud in order to overwhelm and control you. Reading a story, you may be told something, but you're not being sold anything. And though you're usually alone when you read, you're in communion with another mind. You aren't being brainwashed or co-opted or used. You've joined in an act of the imagination. And I just, I, the reason this, I'll read one more thing from that. The yeah, reason literacy yeah. is important is that literature is the operating instructions, the best manual we have, the most useful guide to the country we're visiting, life. Life. Yeah. And why wouldn't that matter so much? It's so important for kids, right? To tell mm-hmm. them it goes back to that thing of, uh, you know, oh, don't don't talk about those hard things because you don't. But golly, kids are it's like you said, aware of everything that's going on. And what a disservice not to talk to them. And also at the same time, what a disservice not to offer them hope and love because that's what stories do, too. Mm-hmm. But they, they also they also need to tell the truth. And the truth is that it's really difficult to be here. It is a huge gift to be here. It's beautiful here. And it's also um, challenging. I, I've, I've thought about you in this time when I, I see these, um, you know, these big articles in the newspaper um, or these analyses going around about, you know, children who've lost time in school because of the pandemic as, like, this lost generation. <laughs> and I, I find, I mean, I find that so upsetting on many levels, including just children reading that they are the lost generation or being told that, right? And and uh, uh, just at the most superficial level. I I also feel like this what you what you see and how you see them and how you honor um, the fact that they know so much um, and that they deserve to have both heartbreak and hope cultivated in them um, is one response to this idea of the last generation and I 
I found when I was getting ready to talk to you this exchange you had with another writer, Matt de la Pena. Is that his name? Matt de la Pena. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Who was asked this question about, and I mean, I think this is this is a parent's question too. You know, how much can you? The the thing you want to do is shield. Like how much, you know, what is the line to walk between, you know, I think he said, how honest should we be with our writer, readers? Is it the job of the writer for the very young to tell the truth or preserve their innocence? Mm. And I just want you to talk through with me, like, what you, what your response was. And I wonder if that question, because you wrote such a beautiful and profound letter in response to that question, had was that all in you, or was that also a moment where the act of writing something down helped you say what you knew? Oh, that's what writing always is for me. Mm. Yeah. Is it that for you, too? It is, yeah. Well, yeah, it's like this discovery. And, of course, it's also feels terrible so much of the time. Right. <laughs> but yes. there are these moments where something comes that... It's like a gift, and you right. didn't know it was in you, and you're not even sure it's of you. Right. No, absolutely all of that. And, you know, it's um, it, when I would go into classrooms and talk to kids and, um, you know, uh, somebody would say, do you like writing? And I would always have to tell the truth. And I know it kind of horrified the teachers. You know, <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, I would quote, uh, you know, the the famous Dorothy Parker quote, I I hate writing. I love having written. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard, um, and uh, but it is that thing of you don't. It's exactly how you phrase that question. Was I didn't? It's like I read Matt's piece and um, and I knew that I wanted to say something back, but I didn't. I, I just I I didn't know how I was going to say it until I sat down and and mm-hmm. and, and tried tried to say it um and i haven't looked at that for a while and you 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 all have it here waiting for me and it actually like uh hurts my uh, i mean i could i could read it or i could um flap my arms and fly to the moon which one would you like me to do (laughs) well then why don't you read it because i want you to stay in the studio no yeah because i think it is exquisite and it's kind of out there on the internet as this Exchange. I don't think you've ever read it out loud. Oh, no, I haven't. Why don't you? Please do read it for us. Dear Matt, I read Love, and I want you to know that when I turned the page and saw that child hiding under the piano, small, worried, afraid, I felt a wave of recognition. I felt seen. I was a kid who hid under the literal and metaphorical piano, I felt isolated by the secrets and fear in my household. For me, as a kid, to see that picture would have been such a relief. I would have known that I was not alone. I would have felt less ashamed. You asked how honest we as writers of books for children should be with our readers, whether it is our job to tell them the truth or preserve their innocence. Here's a question for you. Have you ever asked an auditorium full of kids if they know and love Charlotte's Web? In my experience, almost all the hands go up, and if you ask them how many of them cried when they read it, most of those hands unabashedly stay aloft. 
my childhood best friend read Charlotte's Web over and over again as a kid. She would read the last page, turn the book over, and begin again. A few years ago, I asked her why. What was it that made you read and reread that book, I asked her. Did you think that if you read it again, things would turn out differently, better, that Charlotte wouldn't die? No, she said, it wasn't that. I kept reading it, not because I wanted it to turn out differently or thought that it would turn out differently, but because I knew for a fact that it wasn't going to turn out differently. I knew that a terrible thing was going to happen, and I also knew that it was going to be okay somehow. I thought that I couldn't bear it, but then when I read it again, it was all so beautiful, and I found out that I could bear it. That was what the story told me. That was what I needed to hear, that I could bear it somehow. So that's the question, I guess, for you and for me and for all of us trying to do this sacred task of telling stories for the young. How do we tell the truth and make the truth bearable? When I talk to kids in schools, I tell them about how I became a writer. I talk about myself as a child and how my father left the family when I was very young. Four years ago, this would have been a lot longer, <laughs> I was in South Dakota in this massive auditorium talking to 900 kids, and I did what I always do. I told them about being sick all the time as a kid and about my father leaving, and then I talked to them about wanting to write. I talked to them about persisting. During the Q&A, a boy asked me if I thought I would have been a writer if I hadn't been sick all the time as a kid and if my father hadn't left, and I said something along the lines of, I think there's a very good chance that I wouldn't be standing in front of you today if those things hadn't happened to me. Later, a girl raised her hand and said, it turns out that in the end, you were stronger than you thought you were. When the kids left the auditorium, I stood at the door and talked with them as they walked past. One boy, skinny-legged and blonde-haired, grabbed my hand and said, I'm here in South Dakota and my dad is in California. He flung his free hand out in the direction of California. He said, he's there, and I'm here with my mom, and I thought I might not be okay. I don't know if I can do this without crying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you said today that you're okay, and so I think that I will be okay too. What could I do? I tried not to cry. I kept hold of his hand. I looked him in the eye. I said, you will be okay. You are okay. It's just like that other kid said, you're stronger than you know. I felt so connected to that child. I think we both felt seen. My favorite lines of Charlotte's Web, the lines that always make me cry, are toward the end of the book. They go like this. These autumn days will shorten and grow cold. The leaves will shake loose from the trees and fall. Christmas will come, then the snows of winter. You will live to enjoy the beauty of the frozen world, for you mean a great deal to Zuckerman, and he will not harm you, ever. Winter will pass. The days will lengthen. The ice will melt in the pasture pond. The song sparrow will return and sing. The frogs will awake. The warm wind will blow again. All these sights and sounds and smells will be yours to enjoy, Wilbur. This lovely world. These precious days. I have tried for a long time to figure out how E.B. White did what he did, how he told the truth and made it bearable. And I think that you, with your beautiful book about love, won't be surprised to learn that the only answer I could come up with was love. E.B. White loved the world, 
And in Loving the World, he told the truth about it, its sorrow, its heartbreak, its devastating beauty. He trusted his readers enough to tell them the truth. And with that truth came comfort and a feeling that we are not alone. I think our job is to trust our readers. I think our job is to see and to let ourselves be seen. I think our job is to love the world. Love Kate. That just about killed me. <sighs> Sorry. It's quite amazing. The, that line in the middle, that's the question for you and for me and for all of us to, to trying to do this sacred task of telling stories for the young. How do we tell the truth and make that truth bearable? Yeah. It's such an overwhelming thing uh, that you think, gosh, yeah, I mean, it's, it is it is a sacred task. It really is. And um, I feel so fortunate to get to do it, and, um, and I, I realize what a huge responsibility it is. You know, I really love... Um, I just kind of want to circle back to this communal experience that reading is. I think you've said reading is communal even if it's one person. Yeah. And and you've also talked about how, as a writer, that still the reader finishes the book. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a it's not done until somebody that I never know and will never talk to and will never meet um reads it. That's when it's done. Mm-hmm. You said somewhere, and they sit, and they exist in this world that somehow came out of you. And then you said, we exist in it together. I also have that feeling about a conversation like this, right? Like you and I are speaking right now, and then later other people will join. And it's it will be as if they are sitting in the room with us. Yeah, that's the great gift of what you do. And thank you for letting me come along for that ride. Yeah, uh, it be, it does. It makes me part of that community, too. Uh, the community of, you know, I always think that the, it's like one of the most, I, I walk around thinking about this all the time, how important this is and how to keep it alive for myself and um and access it, particularly in these really difficult times, yeah. and that's wonder, and um, and that's so much of um, what happens when you're a part of a conversation, or it, it, just that that feeling of wonder and amazement, which is appropriate for every minute of every day of being in the world. It is amazing, and and in order to survive, we have to you know close down a lot of that because it's, there's so much that fills you with wonder that you wouldn't, I mean, it's just, it's miraculous. Yeah. It's miraculous that I was able to use the, the parking meter out here. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just yeah. like, and it's like, how do we cultivate that wonder in mm -hmm. ourselves? And, and, and to me, books are the, uh, you know, the, the constant reminder to do that. And, and I, my notebook that I always have with me is the visual representation of the yeah, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, and pay attention is wondering and marveling. Okay, I'll I'll get off my soapbox now. No, that's okay. It's your it's a good soapbox. Um. 
Do you admire it? Do you like my soapbox? I do. I like it very much. Um, you know, here's um, something that um, and my daughter said about what The Tale of Despero, which I think was it was just an important book for her. Um, she said it was the first time that she really thought about she had this experience in the story of many lives, I wrote this down, who magically affected each other and overlapped in some secret way, that this was her first experience of that and of falling in love with multiple people and then this joy of realizing that their lives intertwined. Wow. Wow. That's... (sighs) That kind of undoes me to hear that, (laughs) you know? But, you know, what you just said, it's like, that is a description of what is happening all the time in all of our lives, but we don't wonder at it. Right. No, we don't. And I mean, and it's, it's like I said, it's a talk that I have with myself all the time that um, will just if you it's it goes back to Rilke, you know, if you just the, the act of paying attention, if you pay attention, you're filled with wonder because who wouldn't be right? Mm-hmm. But but we get so caught up in 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 worrying and um, in being angry um, that we just we don't stop to marvel. And and I think that um, books are a chance to. I mean, it's what it does for me. It helps me connect um, to myself and to the world. And to that act of marveling, and that's like one of the the great, wonderful things about um, children's literature is that it can make you know th- that you know it, it's like somebody said this you know if you go around with a if you walk it was you know who it was it was on your show uh, Mara Coleman. <laughs> um, who? Mara, I can't say her name. Oh, Mara, Mara Coleman. Yeah, she, yeah. She just come up all of a sudden this week. Yes. I, oh, yes. She Daily came, things, ordinary things you fall in love with. Yeah, day. and it's like there's a book on walking that um, the she's in. You know, this mm-hmm. person who writes mm-hmm. the book walks with different people. Through, and, and it's like if you walk through a neighborhood with a kid or, you know, a toddler, it's just like, wait. Everything is fascinating. Yeah. And and it's just like, I don't want to let that go because that's a great gift. It grounds you, you mm-hmm. know? Um, mm-hmm. I, I know I still need to get places on time. I still, I had a, a friend in elementary school, Kathy Lord, and I, I just, I loved her. She would sit at the back of the classroom and, um, and she would ask to sharpen her pencil like every three minutes because what she wanted to do was look at what everybody was doing. It wasn't, it was just, she was so interested. And I think about her when I sit down to write. It's like, I think, be like Kathy Lord on the way to the pencil sharpener. I mean, everything <laughs> that everybody was doing was fascinating to her. Mm-hmm. And, and um, that's, that's, that is a way to be in the world. It, it, you let your guard down that way if you're just curious and and filled with wonder. I I'm I'm kind of wanting you to say something about. I mean, <laughs> we, we like we we actually have we're very trained, um, actually to be to investigate as we as we grow older or as we. As we get more educated, right, or or in journalism, um, 
even in other fields, like serious fields, like medicine, like we're trained to look for problems mm. and to investigate what's wrong. Mm. And um, so when I think about when I think about the story we're telling of our time now, there's a there are a lot of really reasonable things to despair about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wanting to I'm wanting you to kind of connect these two realities that both that both are true and both are big, which is this what you said this grounding capacity that we're all born with as children to to kind of live in wonder and how that works together with living in a world in a lot of reasonable despair. Oh, boy. Uh, I don't know. I, I, it, it, you know what it brings me back to is, is a, a book, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's that very thing of like, it's, 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 this, it's the same thing that we've been talking about again and again. It's like, it's telling the truth and it's, it's telling the truth both ways. Um, like, I, I don't, it's, that's a whole show there, and I don't know if I'm the person to answer it. it, there, it it's but the, those things both exist inside you. Like I feel like you're holding all of that together inside you, and they're held together in your stories. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's it it's it's um, scary when you say that because um, uh. It's that thing where the stories are smarter than I am. And I I, I realize so much all at once when you say that, which is how um, how much I, you know, that thing of writing behind my own back, not always knowing what I'm doing, but also how necessary it is to my own psyche. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's like I. Life is chaos and art is pattern. So hmm. all, all of those um, wonderful things that I see and all, all those terrifying things that I see, because you can't see one thing and and you, you have to see it all, right? If you've got your eyes really open. Yeah, then, and that's yeah. the danger, and your right? heart open. Right. Yep. That's, that's, I mean, it's, it's. That's the danger. And mm-hmm. that's also the great privilege of being here. And yeah. so for me, um, to synthesize the terror with the wonder and the joy, it, it, it grounds me and it comforts me. And then this miraculous thing happens where it can go out there and it can it can it can provide that for somebody else too. Mm. Um, and that's, uh, that, that just knocks me over to think about that. I, yeah, you know, I, for some reason, this is what just popped into my head. And so I, so many uh, stories from the old days of doing signings. And uh, there was yeah. uh, a kid who was, uh, leaning really uh, hard against me as I was signing his book. And his mother said, don't lean on her. And he, this kid who I'd never met said, it's okay. She knows me. Um, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and it's like that that great gift of connection, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
as as I try to make sense out of the world mm-hmm. um, through these stories, um, that it helps other people make sense out of the world too, and and provides comfort and, and solace. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this element in. Um, I, I, I mean, I haven't checked this, but I think in every single story, in every single book, there's some connection between animals yes, and also human courage. Oh. Um, mm. And I mean, you know, starting with Winn-Dixie, the dog, but also there's pig and a fierce goat, a rabbit, a mouse, a villainous rat, an elephant, a crow, and that's just not even, doesn't even begin to scratch the it. surface, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it also strikes me that this connection to animals and a solace in animals, somehow a way of, under, of I don't know, uh, um, I remember, you know, I was, being, I was with a very erudite friend of mine. Um, I hadn't seen her for, you know, a year and a half through the pandemic, and she had her dog. That she, They had gotten this dog, and she just talked about how the experience of unconditional love with this dog had just gotten her through. Mm. And um, I I don't know. I feel like that also is somehow in, in so that's something we're recognizing, um, but it's something also that's in these, in your books, in your stories that, and that maybe kids know. I don't know. Yeah, and or it's you know because I've been asked. It's funny that courage bit hasn't nobody's pointed that out. But it's like I talk a lot about you know kids always want to know why all the animals, yeah. and um, y- y- the answer is so complex and and it changes every time. You know the the obvious answer is I love animals, and then the the next obvious answer is. Um, that you know, so much of what I read as a kid um, had those anthropomorphized animals, and yeah. um, those you know. So that then that takes me closer to being a kid. But it's also, and it's not calculated on my part, but it is very much true um, that we as readers, whether we're adults or kids, we we let down our guard a little bit more easily for an animal character, I think. Mm. You know, it's a it's mm. a shortcut into the human heart. Um, but then, you know, it, I've been... It's funny that it took forever for this to occur to me, but I grew up with a standard poodle named Nanette and all that sickness that I had. Nanette mm. was like... We always used to say she must have been a nurse in a previous life. It was the dog <laughs> right. that was up with me in the middle of the night and, like, on the bathroom floor with me. And, like, so it was just this, like, it was, you know, she really took care of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it could be that, too. Um, and she certainly gave me courage. Um, but you know what else, when you think about it, Krista, it's just like it's that thing about... Um, Everything, you know, and and all the science points to this now, which I don't need to tell you about, but, you know, everything, everything is sentient, you know, Um, and and we know that and then we and then we we forget it. Um, and sometimes we we forget it because it's too painful to remember it. But we know it when we're kids. Everything's alive. Everything has a heart and soul. 
Um, and and it comes from that, too. Yeah. That, I think that Robin Wall Kimmerer said, you know, we just, we never learn that something is less conscious than we thought when we're looking at the natural world. We always just keep learning and speaking more of, going on. Yeah. And speaking of her, I mean, I just, she just mm-hmm. popped through my head when I said that because it's like I, every tree I walk past is like the standing people, you know, mm-hmm. from, mm-hmm. it's just like everything, everything. Yeah. And, you know, I I'll, I'll admit it. I talk to the trees when I go past. <laughs> you know, it also, um, there's so much, uh, the pictures that go along with your, with your stories, um, which are the pictures that, uh, that are, that, I mean, the, the way a story um, unleashes pictures in a in, in in somebody else's mind but but also like the art that goes along with your stories i just have to tell you one thing my daughter has said um so many times that she'll just shake her head and say i will never get over my sadness that adults learn to do stories without pictures <laughs> don't you remember what it was like when you were a kid and you would flip through a book and go well, there aren't any pictures. And yeah. then how you would just like tumble down into the hole of every like, because, you know, when I, so I had my mom's um, book house books. Have mm-hmm. you ever seen those? Mm-hmm. You know, and it would have those full color plates in it. And like, it was just like you would get to one of those and just study it and study it. I'm with her on that. Oh, that's one of the fantastic things about uh, writing books for kids is the art, you know? Yeah. It's just a whole nother layer of magic um, and and also just um, another shortcut to the heart, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's lovely. So I would love for you. Uh-oh. When you, when you won your second, sorry, were you going to say something? No, no. I'm just like, I'm wondering where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. Well, when you won your... Um, Second Newbery Medal in 2014, in the acceptance speech, you talked about the word capacious. Mm. And it feels like a word we need right now, um, maybe always, but certainly now. Um, would you ta- and that we should be teaching our children the word capacious. <laughs> um, talk about what you... I also feel like that must have been, I could tell when you gave that speech that you were giving that speech was inviting you to say some things that you hadn't said. So, talk yeah, to us you know, about it's that, that was, um, I gave that, that speech, um, what, in 2000 and 14? 14, yeah, 2014, 14, yeah. 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 And, uh, oh, and after, so you give that speech in person to the uh, ALA. Um, What's the ALA? Is American Library Association oh, okay. to the librarians. Um, and it's, I guess it's probably like a, um, I don't know, a thousand people in that room. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there's like a kind of like a receiving line afterwards. Um, and uh, again and again, after I gave that speech, I, I got to say, <laughs> that what I was able to do in there with that that group of librarians was um, I, it was basically a eulogy for my mother, you know, yeah. Yeah. and I didn't realize it <laughs> when I wrote it 
and I didn't realize it until I was up there saying it to them. It was that's 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 what a that's what it was, and and the you know, and also a, it was a eulogy for my mom, and I'll and I'll love letter to um, that you know the power of of words, and yeah. you know the, the back to capacious yeah. and and William Maxwell, and it's so much fun at the beginning of that speech to um, summarize that short story that 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 came from. Um, and I can't. What is it? Uh, thistles in Sweden, or oh, I don't know. I didn't write that down. Yeah, I I I, I can tell you when I get home. But um, and to get and and to get to the end of that story and, and where he he finishes with you know the last lines of that story are if indeed God is holding us in His all in His hands, what capacious hands they must be. Is that not yeah. the most beautiful? <laughs> I mean, I can never get over the miracle of of that sentence. Um, we say it again. If indeed, and I don't know if I'm exactly um, word for yeah, word yeah, here, but, but okay. if indeed God is holding us all in his hands, what capacious hands they must be. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, because it does, that sentence does exactly uh, what the word capacious does, right? It it opens uh, you up and can and and, and and welcomes you in. It holds you and mm-hmm. and you know when I think about capacious, I think too about you know back to wonder. It's like how how do we keep our hearts capacious? And that's that's one of the ways. It's 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 through reading and through the uh, the empathy of reading and through um, being present for the world and marveling at the world and and not taking any of its marvels for granted, mm-hmm. and um, and then it's you know that capaciousness also lets us keep room for all the sorrow too, which goes back to your thing about how do we do these two things, you know. Yeah, you you sat in that room full of librarians and I'm sure writers, readers for sure. We have been given the sacred task of making hearts large through story. Mm-hmm. We are working to make hearts that are capable of containing much joy and much sorrow, hearts capacious enough to contain the complexities and mysteries of ourselves and of each other. Yeah. That makes me cry too. Maybe I'm just like um, too <laughs> too open here, yeah. But yeah, that makes me cry because that's it. That's mm-hmm. it, and it's it's what I need too, and what I get from books, and and to to think about getting to be a part of that uh, for for a kid is just huge, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that, that goes back to the Ursula Le Guin piece yeah. that um, you know the operating instructions and um, and also that thing of being in community with somebody um, across time and space through through story, through story and reading and writing and writing, yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, how often do people cry on this show? Does it, am I like in a, a small, well, you have sad, a very capacious club? heart? So you're you're more you're more open to that. Um, I did ask uh, through Julie if you had favorite quotes of your characters. Did that? Yeah, that ca- yeah, that came through, and yeah, it sure did make sense, and um, and and it got at a couple things which are very interesting to me. One of them is, you know, that thing of of the characters being independent of me, yeah, um, and surprising me, which is, and of course they always do, um, and I brought. Um, you know, there there are quotes that go through my head from stories. Um, one of them is the the little uh, Leo Matien and um, the magician's elephant who always is who's so upbeat and says, "What if? Why not? Could it be?" Which is a wonderful <laughs> refrain to have in your head as 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 a positive thing. You know, why yeah. not? What if? Could it be? Um, yeah. But I thought of when you posed that question. I thought of. Uh, I don't know if you read Louisiana's Way Home. Um, I have not read that one. Okay, well, um, and I'm going to read from the end of it. So uh, I don't know then if that's going to go with your whole program. (laughs) No, that's good. That's fine. Uh, uh, Yeah, just let me say also, like, I've noticed that I've noticed that when you talk about your writing process and also when kids ask you about it and you respond to them. You you know, and I've heard other readers, writers speak this way. I mean, I've had this experience to some extent myself, but it's just, it feels like you really have like these, you hear people speak, you hear their voices and, and, and they often don't do what you expect. And so these are really... Like these are things they said. It feels to you like they said you didn't say this, right? Oh, out. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. So uh, L- Louisiana is um, uh, raised by her grandmother, um, and her grandmother. Uh, it, well, I just you know she ends up. Her grandmother is more than a piece of work. She's probably a little. Um, mentally unwell, and she ends up leaving her. Um, and uh, so Louisiana is abandoned. This is the very end of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, Louisiana says, this is happily in first person, so it's fun to read. I have respected your wishes. I have not come searching for you, but I have crossed the Florida-Georgia state line many, many times since we last spoke, and I look for you every time I cross over. I know that you will not be there, but I look anyway, and I dream about you. In my dream, you are standing in front of the vending machine from the good night sleep tight, and you are smiling at me. Using all of your teeth, you say, select anything you want, darling. Provisions have been made. Provisions have been made. I am so happy when you show up in my dreams and say those words to me. Thank you for picking me up in the alley of Louisiana Five and Dime. Thank you for teaching me to sing. I don't know if you made it to Elfia or not, but I want you to know that there is no curse of sundering upon my head. I love you, Granny. I forgive you. And so that... Krista is like, she said those words at the end, which destroyed me. And I had no, um, I didn't, you know, plan for her to say them. And I can trace those words back to, you know, where? Hmm. To your show. 
I can't really? Rem- yeah, I can't remember who was on. I think it's the StoryCorps guy. Oh, David, I say. Yeah, talking yeah. about um, what you should oh, say. The things we say. Yes. The, yeah, Do, and should dying. I say them? Yeah. Um, things to, people need to say before they go. Before they when before they die. To, mm-hmm. And it, they are, thank you. I love you. I forgive you. Can you forgive me? And when I heard that, I almost fell off the treadmill um, and because it so directly spoke to what I needed to say to my father. Yeah. And yeah. I and I, I, I wrote him that. Um, and then what happens is that those words come back through the fullness of story in a way that I did not anticipate at all and freed me again and hopefully um, will free somebody else, right? You know, it through, mm-hmm. through the miracle of story. Um, and, and, that, and all that goes on subterranean, mm-hmm. a sub, on a subterranean level for me and for the reader too, probably. But um, that's what I thought of when, when you asked that question. And, and those words go through my head all the time. And they're Louisiana's words, but they came, I know where they came from. And uh, I just didn't anticipate her saying them. Yeah. I'm so glad I asked you that question. Yeah, it's such a, it's, it's, uh, it's such a weird question. (laughs) (laughs) And I was going to stop myself from saying weird. It's like, yeah, your characters you created. Right. It's not weird, but it's, it's really unusual. It's really unusual. Uh And so I, when I, when I got that email, I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm up for the challenge. And so, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I, boy, I, uh, you know, I have that father too, um, and uh, or my version of that, and um, I really, I, I I feel like you know you you talk a lot about this that somehow what all what things come back to for you is home, and I and and that's somehow what it's always there for all of us, and it's. It's always true throughout the course of our lives, and whether we are conscious of how it's affecting us or not. I was looking at like the last sentence of the first chapter of Because of Winn Dixie, and how is that? That's are there like there are like eleven million copies of that book in the world, right? You know, and it's something... so funny because I I was doing some event at Politics and Prose, and some in DC, I, yeah, and some uh-huh. somebody asked that question: How many? You know, how many, I don't, and I'd like, I don't know. And the the publicity person from Candlewick was there. And I said in an offhand manner to her, do you know? And she said that number. And what did I do? Of course, I cried. It's like, (laughs) what? Uh, It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. 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 11 million. Yeah. Um, My one last story about my daughter. She told me a story about a friend of hers who she got to know in her 20s or in college who had never who refused to read huh. for some reason mm-hmm. growing up refused to read but he was required to read because of Win dixie <laughs> and after that carried it everywhere he went and she said as far as we know this is still the only book he has ever read 
There's this sentence that you've got. It's the last sentence of chapter one. And the two of us, me and Winn-Dixie, started walking home. And that, you know, and I, to me, I have this picture of you, right? You, Kate, that was your first book. And then you've been walking home ever since and helping other people do that with every book that comes after it. Uh, what a beautiful thing to say, um, A, and B, yes, what a grand gift that has been to to get to find my way home again and again through story and then uh, to have other people with me on the journey. Can you imagine? Mm. Um, uh, what a huge honor that is. Mm. And also back to the sacred task part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think uh, how I... You know how I keep on hoping. How I I feel duty bound um, mm-hmm. to to tell stories. Um, it, it's it is it's it's what I've been. You know, at at the risk of uh, sounding grandiose, it's what I'm. I got to come here to do, and so it's it's what I want to keep on doing. Is there anything, anything else that's bubbling up in you? Oh, I could. I don't. You know, <laughs> all, all that's bubbling up in me is tears. It's just like you just made me cry and cry. Um, I don't. I brought. You know, I brought Isaac Dennison too, but I don't think that that. You know, oh, did you? Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I didn't I know what direction talk about that we didn't get to it. Yeah, I didn't. Did, did you? Um, hey, Zach, is there a show in there somewhere? There is a show. We have got a last word. Yeah, okay. You don't have to say anything else. I just want to know if there's anything else or anything else you brought to read. Mm, no, I mean, there's just so much that mm. that could be said. And, 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 and I'm so, you know, it, it goes back to what you said about Anne um, and, and the power of, of Anne and that... Uh, Anne Patchett. Ch- yeah, and that the, children's yeah. literature... Um, you know, I think there's a great line in that essay from hers that she found out, you know, she didn't think that she was, she thought she was too big. And then she found that there was a portal that she was just small enough to make her way through. And <laughs> um, and I, I, it's like, it's so great for you to do this um, for children's literature. So thank you, you know. It was wonderful. And I'm so glad we're doing it. And um and we'll we'll let you know. I need to. Well, no, you're there, so you'll you'll finish up with Zach. But I will I will talk to you again. Okay. Thank you. Blessings. Thank you for this time. Uh, I, I, I'm really grateful. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.